to a brand new sermon series called Resurrecting Hope. It's a series that uh, leads us uh, across some of the, the uh, moments with Jesus prior to uh, the events that happened at the cross and, and the events of the resurrection at Easter. And of course, we will have our final message in the <coughs> Resurrecting Hope sermon series on Resurrection Sunday. I want you to know something about the way that Jesus conducted his ministry, he actually uh, was doing a lot to prepare his people for what was coming, especially his disciples. Uh, he's told them frequently, I'm going to die, and I'm going to come uh, rise again on the third day. He's told them that, and, and they have different reactions to that, and we'll look at some of that in the coming weeks. He wants them to be ready. But he also does something that's quite remarkable. There, there are, in his stories, there were hints, subtleties of things to come as well. Like in the sermon and in the study we'll look at today, a, a time when Jesus kind of told three stories about hope. And we'll see in all of these stories some of the things that are, that are, are interesting. He'll talk about, uh, about putting something on our shoulders, like he carried the cross, and silver coins, and... and Something dead being alive again. All things that are pointing us toward the hope of what's going to happen on Easter Sunday. It's a story that's fascinating, and it's a series of stories that follows nicely on last week's message. You remember last week? It's hard to think back that far, but we talked about Levi and uh, the tax collectors and how, how that... Uh, Jesus was reaching out to Levi and changed Matthew's life, and he becomes this great uh, writer and, and, and follower of Jesus. And there was a lot of criticism because Jesus was hanging out with someone like Matthew, you recall. So while last week wasn't a part of the series, let's go back and let's, let's kind of just understand that Luke 15 starts almost exactly where we left off last week. Luke chapter 15 says, now the tax collectors... And the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. One of the things that's noteworthy about the, the tax collectors and the sinners is they were anxious to learn from Jesus. So they were always listening carefully. Contrast that with another group that's there, and that is the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law. They play in a big way into what's coming for the uh, story of Jesus as well. But interestingly enough, verse 2 says, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they were muttering, this man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. How fascinating. One group is listening. They can't wait to hear what Jesus has to say. And the other group's not listening very well, but they have a lot to say. It's quite a contrast. So Jesus knows his audience. Understand that about him. He always understands his audience. And he tells a series of stories that are very specific to their context. <clears throat> One is specific to the context of those Pharisees and Sadducees, the leaders of the Israelites, the shepherds or the elders, if you will. And to them, he'll tell a story about what shepherds are like. Then to the tax collectors and, and, and those who are his audience, What's really important to them is money. So he'll tell a story about lost money. And then finally, he'll talk about what it means for, for sinners 
which is a pretty broad audience. It encompassed his disciples, it encompassed the tax collectors, the Pharisees, and it encompasses, if we're honest, me and you. And we're in that group. So he has a message for those that were in his audience almost 2,000 years ago, and he has a message for us today. So let's hear his message. Here's the first story. The first story was told to the elders, to the shepherds, to the Pharisees, the Sadducees. To them, he said, suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and you lose one. Doesn't the shepherd leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep? And there's a key word here that says it's an ongoing process until he finds it. He doesn't stop looking until he finds it. He goes out after the lost sheep and he's determined, I'm I'm not going to quit looking for this sheep until I either know the sheep is dead, it's been attacked and I find evidence of that, or I find it somewhere alive and bring it back home. Several years ago, Max Licato told a story that was based on a true story that happened in the uh, aftermath of the horrible, horrific Armenian earthquake. Remember that event, about four seconds of earthquake really almost leveled the country. And in that story, there was a a boy who was in a a public school in Armenia that was leveled by the earthquake. And uh, luckily, and fortunately, this little boy and some of his classmates survived the earthquake, but they were trapped under the rubble. The little boy's name was Armand, and Max Licato reports of the story that Armand told his peers, he said, listen, he said, If my dad is alive, my dad will not stop looking for me, and he will work until he finds me, and when my dad finds me, he'll find you, and we'll all be rescued. And it took Armand's father four days, of course, but on the fourth day, he uh, broke through the rubble, called out his son's name, and they were able to rescue not just Armand, but many of his classmates out of the rubble. A good shepherd doesn't quit looking for a sheep. He doesn't stop. He keeps doing everything he can to find them. This is what Jesus says. He doesn't lose hope. He doesn't lose hope. The shepherd keeps looking. Now when he finds it, and, and the point of Jesus' story here is it's possible, right? It's possible to find the lost sheep. And we shouldn't give up. And so he says when he finds it, He joyfully puts it on his shoulders. He goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. (laughs) I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. I shared last week, and I stand by it, that one of the reasons the Pharisees get so angry with Jesus is that uh, they really actually wanted to believe he was the Messiah, and they wanted him to pick them as his followers and to tell people how great they were. And they were really frustrated that instead of telling people how wonderful they were, he frequently challenged them, but he always was lifting up these tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners and And it really bothered them, like he was picking the wrong people. Well, here he says, this this is this shepherd that goes out 
And a shepherd is like one who finds a lost sinner and brings them back. And he says something incredible, that when we go out and engage in the work of shepherds, seeking and saving the lost, heaven rejoices that you could do something on earth today that could make a celebration in heaven is quite remarkable. It's quite remarkable. I don't know if they have like GNN, the God News Network. I don't know how they know what happens up there, but they know. Somehow there's rejoicing. Like a bulletin comes over the loudspeaker. Yes, Bill, the reprobate's been saved. He's been found. He's back. And everyone, you know, I don't know what happens. Sorry if your name is Bill. I don't mean to cast aspersions this morning. Anyway, this is the thing. In heaven, they get excited. They get excited when the lost are found. And so he tells the story about a shepherd. And the idea, the reason that he referenced what happens in heaven is Jesus elsewhere is setting up that God is a shepherd. <laughs> He's the over-shepherd. He oversees all the other shepherds and that he has his eyes on his lost sheep. Something he'll make really clear in just a minute. I imagine that after that story, the Pharisees are sitting back and those who have the heart to reflect on Jesus' words, and some do, because I want to make this really clear, not all of the Pharisees will be Jesus' haters, right? Some of them will come to be Jesus' followers, people like Nicodemus, probably Joseph of Arimathea, and others, they'll follow Jesus. They'll just be the minority, they are probably very introspective. They're probably listening and, and reflecting. Huh. Who's that person that I've lost track of? Who's that lost sheep that I haven't been trying to find? Is it time for me to reach out again? Am I being the kind of shepherd I'm supposed to be? It is incumbent upon stronger Christians more mature Christians, to look after their This thing just died. All right. So as we go forward, there's a second story. And this time it's a story that really fits well the needs of the tax collectors. In the second story, he's, he's talking about money, something they're familiar with, and he's going to challenge them in their own way too because he's going to point out the story of this poor woman who has not, she doesn't have very much wealth. <laughs> Ten coins, a single day's wage is her life savings. So I don't know what you make in a day, but that's all the money she has left. And for her, it comes in the form of 10 silver coins and, and, and maybe through no fault of her own, but she somehow... Here's a, a hole in her coin purse. I don't know, but she loses one of the coins. And the problem is, is that she doesn't have a nice a, a hardwood floor in her home. She has dirt. <laughs> and it's easy if a coin falls in the dirt, it's easy for it to be covered over by the dust and hard to find. So Jesus tells a second story about this woman who's, who's kind of just living day to day and, and while that might be almost nothing, a few dollars to someone else, it's everything to her. To suppose a woman has ten silver coins. By the way, silver coins, I told you Jesus is hinting at some things that are going to come later on. Ten silver coins and she loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? 
And by the way, why light a lamp? Because hopefully she'll see the glint of, and shine of the silver and find her coin in the dirt. And she searches carefully. Picture this poor woman down on her hand and knees, uh, hands and knees kind of brushing away the dirt, looking through her whole house trying to find this lost coin. It was painstaking work. But she did it because even though it didn't look like much money to a lot of people in the world, it was everything to her. Kind of like people that don't seem like they're worth much to a lot of the rest of the world. But to God, they're pretty important. Well, when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors. Yeah, and they didn't have text or telephone, right? So she yells out, I found it! (laughs) And she's excited. She says, rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. And Jesus says, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels over one sinner who repents. And a second time, he references how things are in heaven. Now, before we go to the third story, I want you to understand something, that that Jesus is setting up an idea here that, that in heaven, God is constantly looking out at his creation. He's constantly looking out at his people And he knows who are his. And he knows those who are close to him. And he knows those who are far away. And he's watching our progress. He's even intervening, doing what he can to try to change the outcome so that we don't perish, but we we have everlasting life. This is at the very heart of God. And Jesus is painting us a picture that that God's cheering us on. He's cheering on the those that are, that are lost, that are being found. He's, he's, a, he's our biggest cheerleader. He's excited, and heaven gets excited with him. So then he tells a third story. And this third story is one that it kind of makes me laugh inside because I've heard it so many times, and so have you. For years, I, I had the chance to serve as a dean at Hilltop Christian Camp. In fact, I think if I add up all the years I worked there for whole summers, on, on, as a camp staffer, and then the years I've been a dean, and I, and I, or I've worked there and helped out, I think about 50 to 55 weeks of my life were spent there over a year at Hilltop Camp. And uh, always loved being there, and for a long time, especially during the junior weeks, one of the big things to do at camp was to have a Bible story night where each of the teams of kids had to act out a Bible story. There were always like three Bible stories that you could count on getting chosen every year, right? Like, for one, there was always the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel and God sitting on the fire from heaven. There was always some kid who was sitting up in a tree, and they had a wire run from the top of this tree down to a a fire pit somewhere where they'd built their altar, and he would light that toilet paper on fire and send it down, and then it hit a, a, a drenched with kerosene fire. It would light up and ooh, eat all, ooh, and all. What a great, great thing. Kids love it. Now, there was a second story kids love to do at camp. It was the story of the raising of Lazarus from the dead, right? Because somebody got to get toilet papered like a mummy and come up out of the grave. And kids love to see that story. And then there was always this other story because at Hilltop, uh, one of the things that they do, the kids have to clean off their plates at the end of the day. And all the extra food gets put in what's called the slop bucket. And you kind of scoop it off, and it goes in the buckets. The kids talk about the slop buckets a lot at camp. And, and so always on this day, this third story about this 
Young man who was so hungry he wanted to eat out of the slop bucket always came up. And somebody has a slop bucket and they've poured some chocolate milk in a clean slop bucket and then they eat out of it and everybody gets grossed out. And it's a great story for kids. By the way, speaking of camp, if, if you have a grandchild or a child that's interested in camp, we really want to help encourage that. And our church will gladly, if you need it, we will gladly pay half of their tuition or even all of their tuition if, uh, to get them to camp. And if that's something that you are interested in, please uh, see Virgil or myself or call the church office and we'll connect you with a means of getting a scholarship. Well, here's that last story. It's a story of the prodigal son. It's a story that you know well, but understand that this isn't a story about someone else, friends. This is our story, my story, your story. And it's not a story that happens just once. I actually think Jesus tells this story because he's seen this play out thousands or tens of thousands of times. And don't miss that the father, the loving father that's always watching for a son is how our Heavenly Father watches over us. Hope resurrected. There was a reason to have hope for the lost sheep it was found. There's a reason to have hope that a coin that's dropped could be recovered. And as hard as it is for us to imagine, there's reason for hope being resurrected for someone who has turned their back on God, on their faith, on their family, on everything they know, and they've run off to the far-off place. But we serve a God who resurrects hope. Listen to the parable from Jesus. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had. He set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth and, and wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine, famine in that land and the whole country, and he began to be in need. So the son, the younger son, went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. You need to know that for his Jewish audience that he was with that day, those Pharisees, Sadducees, uh, this was repulsive. Pigs were considered unclean, ceremonially unclean. If you uh, were to be in their presence, you wouldn't have been allowed to go to the synagogue or to the tabernacle unless a priest said you were fit to go back and clean. It's a big deal that he goes there. It's a sign of just how far he's fallen. And this young man longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. Of course, the beautiful part of the story is what happens at that moment. When you reach rock bottom. When this young man realizes, man, I've blown it. <laughs> That's a hard moment. A lot of you in this room, you've been there already. You've already had that low point in your life at some point. Your prodigal story came to a moment where you're like, man, something's got to change in me. That's what happens to this young man. The Bible says he came, Jesus says he came to his senses. 
And he thought to himself, he thought, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, right? He's working and he doesn't get anything extra. <laughs> He's like, well, my father at least gives extra food to his servants. <laughs> I'm starving to death. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out. I'm going to go back to my father. And I'm going to say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, but make me like one of your hired servants. You know, his assessment of himself is pretty accurate. He had dishonored his family name. His father had given him a life's worth of trust, like he'd given him a portion of all that he had, and he'd squandered it. Uh, he was an unworthy son, and sadly, I'm an unworthy son, and Maybe you're an unworthy son or an unworthy daughter. But it doesn't change how our father loves us. It doesn't change how this father loved his son. Now, before I go any farther, I told you there were things in these stories that I don't want us to miss. And one of those is the word repent. Remember in the very first story? How did Jesus say? He said, there is rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents more for that one than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. In the last story, what do he say? There is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one who repents. Well, I want you to understand that this third story, although the word repent never shows up, repentance is the very key to the story. And it happens in this phrase about when he got up and he went to his father, because it's a phrase that actually embodies repentance. You see, repentance means to turn in a new direction or to return back to our Father. Repentance is a message that John the Baptist preached and that Jesus preached over and over and over that we all must repent. And even today I would ask you, is there some place in your life where you need to turn back towards Jesus, turn back towards God? That is repentance. And this son who realizes, I have blown it, <laughs> it's, a, it's a disaster. He repents by his actions when he says, I'm going to go back to my father. Now, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, and he threw his arms around his son, and he kissed him. And he loved him. Did you catch that? The father saw him when he was a long way off. He was looking for him. He was watching for him. He was waiting for him. And there was mercy and there was grace. And there was forgiveness. There was forgiveness. His father was filled with compassion. He ran to his son he threw his arms around his son. He kissed. He kissed his son. He welcomed him back. This is not what the son expected. He did not expect to be forgiven. He didn't expect a great comeback. He expected to get chewed out for his bad behavior. He expected to get, uh, you're not welcome here, you've blown it. Get out of here. 
He was just hoping he could appeal to his father's good nature. But that's not how his father loved him. His father loved him with an unending love. His father was like that father in Armenia who wasn't going to quit trying to reach out and love on his son. It wasn't going to happen. He would never stop. So he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him. The son tries to say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father doesn't hear any of that now. His father says, Quick! Bring the very best robe. Why, well, think, picture this kid coming in, in rags. And his father says, get the best robe in the house. Clothe him in righteousness. Show him he's a new creation. He's not who he used to be. He is, he's, he's a part of this family. And he's worth something. So give him the best that we have because he's worth something. And not only that, he says, put a ring on his finger, which is kind of an idea that in the Eastern world of Jesus' day, a signet ring was a sign of being a part of a family. We hold that tradition today when we give wedding rings to each other. It's either we're a part of something. And it's clear that he's had to hawk or sell his ring at some point. At least that's how his audience would have heard it. So his father doesn't say, well, I see you squandered the family ring. Just the opposite. He probably takes the ring off his own finger. He puts it on his son. He says... You're a part of my family. You still belong. And then he goes on. His son is gaunt, thin, from years in this far-off place and famine and difficulty. And his father sees that. He sees that his shoes are worn out. So he says, hey, get some sandals for his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let's have a feast and let's celebrate. Because this son of mine was dead and he is alive. He is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. He's found. God is so good. Hope can be restored. Amen? Jesus is the restorer of the hope. He is the finder of the lost. He is the one who restores families, who restores broken people, who restored a broken world. And he wants to restore you. I want for hope to be resurrected in us. And I want for hope to be resurrected in our world. Because right now, our world desperately needs hope. And you heard it in the song earlier this morning. Jesus is the name of our hope. Amen? If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord or as your Savior... I encourage you to do so right now as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation. <laughs>